Welcome to Christ Church Conway's podcast. We hope that the resources you find here are used by the Spirit to strengthen you in your faith through the study of Scripture and theology. If you have a Bible, I invite you to turn with me now to the book of Ephesians. Back in 2015, we went through, and part of 16, we went through the book of Ephesians as a church, and uh, it's been a while since we've been there, and, and I have felt compelled this week in my own study to, to go there and, and wanted to bring y'all along with me to think about what this incredible letter that Paul wrote to this church in Ephesus has to say to us today. So we're going to look at Ephesians chapter 1, verses 1 through 14 this morning, which is arguably one, one of, like, from a theological standpoint and as far as like things that we could argue about and debate and discuss, one of the most unbelievable passages in all of the Bible. It's got all the election and predestination and choosing and all of the things that we love to sit around and debate and discuss, and it just lays them all out there like, hey, this is how it works. And so it's an incredible passage from that level. But the theology in it is unbelievably deep. But here's here's what we're not going to do this morning. We're not going to sit through this and kind of break down all of the different theological aspects that we could from this passage. I mean, indeed, we could preach for a long time. I put Ephesians 1, 1 1-14, part 1 is the name of the sermon because we might come back and do some of that. But this morning, as I read this in just a second... Here's what I hope happens, both in the reading of God's Word and in this sermon. I hope that we all together are overwhelmed by the gospel and by what is ours in Jesus Christ. That's what I want to happen. I want us to be absolutely flabbergasted, undone in the best way by what this says about us in Christ and what we have in Him. I want us all to feel like I feel when I look in my garage, absolutely overwhelmed, but in a positive way, okay? In a positive way. So let's, with that said, let's read God's Word, Ephesians chapter 1, verses 1 through 14. And I'm going to read, we normally uh, use the ESV here. It's a fantastic translation, one of the absolute best. I'm going to read my own translation this morning, not because I like to be fancy, but because there's a couple of places that I think need to be translated differently and make a big difference. Okay, so if it sounds a little bit different, that's why. Ephesians chapter 1, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, to the saints who are in Ephesus and are faithful in Christ Jesus. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places inasmuch as he chose us in Christ before the foundation of the world that we should be holy and blameless before him in love, by predestining us for adoption through Jesus Christ to himself, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace, which he freely bestowed on us in the beloved. 
In the beloved, we have redemption through Christ's blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time, uniting all things in Christ, things in heaven and things on earth, in Christ. In the beloved also, we have been received as an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will, that we who were the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory. In the beloved also, hearing the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, in the beloved also, believing you were sealed with the Spirit of promise, the Holy One, who is the guarantee of the inheritance of us, to the redemption of the possession, to the praise of His glory. Most gracious Father, as we look this morning at Your Word, I ask that by Your Spirit You would help me to speak clearly, that we might be strengthened in the gospel of Jesus Christ to the praise of your glory. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Very quickly, not because it's not the Word of God or or not important, but very quickly I want to, to dispense with the first two verses. Paul is introducing himself and and writing to the Ephesians and and giving the normal apostolic benediction. And and yes, we could spend time diving into all of this and doing word studies on grace and peace and all of those fun, groovy things, and and that would be fun. But, But really, this is just a standard introduction to a letter. Much like we would say, you know, dear Annie, and then I would write a letter to my wife. If we spent a lot of time focused on the Dear Annie part, you'd be like, well, that's weird. You were just kind of starting the letter. And and that's what this is too. Again, I get it. Every word, plenary inspiration, all of that, it is inspired. But here's what we need to know from it. This letter is from Paul. This letter is to the Ephesians who are in Christ. And Paul blesses them with grace and peace in the name of God. The second point of the sermon Chapter three through four, verse three through verse fourteen. As we come to these verses, and I've made explicit in in the, the the translation that I read, I made explicit all of the different places that Paul talks about us being in Christ somehow. In, in these fourteen verses, or I guess fourteen, in these twelve verses, thirteen different times. He makes the point that what we have, we have because we've been connected to Jesus. In Christ, in the beloved, through Jesus Christ, through Christ's blood, over and over and over again. Paul is driving home this point that what we have before God, we have because we are in Christ. Period. That's the only reason we have it. 
Not because of, uh, of what he saw in us. As, as Brent read earlier from Deuteronomy, that passage that, that looks at Israel, where, where Yahweh looks at Israel and says, here's the deal, guys. Yes, I chose you. But I didn't choose you because you were special. I didn't choose you because you were impressive. You weren't. You weren't. I chose you because I loved you. That's what Paul is trying to overwhelm us with here. That we've been chosen by God not because he thought we were awesome, because we'd like done these great things for him, or, or because we were so good at walking in the light, or, or no, not at all. Quite the opposite. He chose us for him because he loved us. No other reason. No other reason. Paul begins this section, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. He's he's calling us to praise God, to bless Him, to to announce His glory, to worship Him, to to sing songs of praise to Him, to, to make known that He is worthy of all glory and honor and worship and praise. Why? Because He has blessed us. See, that's why, in part, and sometimes we shy away from this, but that's why, in part, yes, God is worthy of praise simply because of how he is, because he is holy, because he is great, because he is the sovereign, because he is God. Yes, his character alone makes him worthy of praise. But Paul reminds us he's worthy of praise also. He's worthy of us blessing him That is, praising Him, worshiping Him, honoring Him, reveling in His glory because He has blessed us. I suppose, theoretically, it's true that that we should say that, well, He's worthy of praise whether we get anything from Him or not. Yes, He's God. I get that. But, But that kind of misses the point of the gospel entirely. Yes, he's worthy of praise simply because of who he is, but he's also worthy of praise because being who he is in all of his righteousness, in all of his holiness, in all of his glory, in all of his justice, he said, I want these people. And I'm going to have to give my son to have them. And I love them enough to do it. And he chose us. And he gave his son to redeem us. And he's made us something just like that that toy that that I talked to the kids about. It became something different when it got put in the gift bag. All of a sudden, that, that was now a gift. We've become something different. Because we've been put in Christ. So blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us in Christ. The blessing that we have from God, the, the, the blessing that, that, that is sure, this, this inheritance, all of these different things, we have because he has put us in Christ. Again, we go back to the parallel passage in Deuteronomy 7. It's a little bit hard to read, isn't it? Those who hate God, he will oppose to their face. <laughs> it's not like a passive, like, oh, forget you. It, like He gets in your grill about not following him. But those who love him, those that we can see here in the gospel have been put in Christ, were blessed by him. A profound difference. 
He blesses us to our face rather than cursing us to our face. He has blessed us in Christ. He has blessed us with every spiritual blessing. Now, I'm not going to deny that God doesn't at times bless us with things on this earth, with, with material blessings. Sometimes He does. Sometimes He doesn't. But He never fails to bless us, to provide for us, to give us every blessing in the heavenly places in Jesus Christ. Every spiritual blessing. There may be, for some reason, in His providence that we don't know, that He doesn't bless us with money or anything else in this world. But He never fails to bless us with the blessings for which Christ laid down His life. He never fails to bless us if we are in Christ with justification, with adoption, with sanctification, with perseverance, with hope, with life, with identity, with peace, with rest from our works trying to please him. He doesn't fail to bless us in those ways if we are in Jesus Christ. Sometimes we miss that that's the true blessing of God and we pine for blessing in this world. We, we pine for, for comfort in, in this life. We, we, we pine for having the stuff we want. We pine for, for just our, our bank account, having enough zeros in it we, and, and a number in front of the zeros. We, we pine for all of that stuff, right? We pine for that. But that's like seeking a consolation prize. That, that's like, you know, growing up, you would, you would be on the playground and there would be a football game or a soccer game and, 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 you know, the two best players or popular kids or whatever would be picking teams and you'd be, oh, I want him, I want Jill, I want Bill, I want Fred, I want Ashley, oh, you know, and then you get in there and there's this one kid left. And there's an odd number and so he doesn't get picked. And he's over on the side and he's crying and the teacher comes over and is like, what's the problem? He's like, I didn't get picked. And she's like, okay. She goes and talks to the cool kids and they're like, hey, look. Can we do something with Jimmy? Can he like be the ref? And they're like, sure, he can be the ref. Great. He's the ref. And then Jimmy goes home and is like, I got to be the ref at the soccer game. And I know I'm leaning into some stereotypes here, but mom's like, great, I'm so proud of you. And dad's like, you should go work on your math because there's only one reason you get to be the ref. It's because you got the consolation prize. See, when we long for the stuff of this life from God rather than the blessings, the spiritual blessings in the heavenly places that are ours in Christ, we're longing for the consolation prize. And the problem with that is you can get that and not have anything else. There's a lot of people with everything this life has to offer. Every blessing you can imagine. But have nothing in Jesus Christ. Because all they have is this world. All they have is this world. Paul's reminding us that we have more than that. He has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. There's nothing he's left off. Nothing he has left off if you are found in Christ. 
Verse 4 begins with this Greek word kathos, which I translated in as much as. And, and from, from that word on to the end, what Paul is doing is explaining what it is to be blessed in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. And it's one, all of this from verse 3 to verse 14 in the original is all one long sentence. And really it's just like there will be a verb or a preposition or something and then just like all of these, uh, I'm sorry, a participle, and then all of these prepositional phrases you have to figure out what, what's modifying what and what's being, you know, what exactly is Paul saying here. And when we get it all right, it's just absolutely mind-blowing. How has he blessed us? He begins by saying he chose us. That's the first way that, that's the first blessing that we get is that we get picked at all. At all. Because we know, as we read in Deuteronomy 7, there's not a good reason to pick us. You can, you can look high and low for a long time. There's not a good reason to pick us. We're sinners right to the core, wanting nothing to do with the things of God. No one seeks God. Not even one, Paul tells us. There's no subset of humanity at any point in history uh, on whom God could look down and be like, oh, they're looking for me. I'll let them find me. They're, they're trying to do what's right. They're trying to be good. I'll let them find me. They're honoring me. I'll let them find me. I want them because they want me. No subset of humanity can that be said about. He chose us, as we read in Deuteronomy 7, simply because he wanted to. Not because we were bigger, taller, smarter, faster, prettier, richer, kinder, nicer, vaccinated, unvaccinated, nothing. None of it. None of it. He chose us in Christ. Because Jesus Jesus was the perfect chosen one. He was the one who satisfied God's demands. He was the one who fulfilled the law. He was the one who was the perfect son. He was the one who got it all right. And in him, God said he chooses us. Here's what that means. That means that everything about the Christian life is entirely of grace. Every single bit. He chose us first in Christ, then before the foundation of the world, before anything else had happened, before creation, he chose us. So again, here's what this means. He chose me and he chose you if you are in Christ, knowing, fully aware of all the dumb, sinful, foolish, asinine things you would do before you ever did them. He said, you know what? This man right here, this woman right here, I'm picking them. And I know they're going to do this, and they're going to say that, and they're going to fail this way, and they're going to be dumb like this, and they're going to do that, and I'm picking them before any of it ever happens. before any of it ever happened. Here's why that's good news for us. 
That means that none of those things that we do separate us from Him. None of them surprise Him. We don't make whatever the biggest mistake in your life is, and maybe you haven't made it yet. Maybe you still got something to look forward to. He doesn't get to that point with us and go, uh-oh, I made a bad choice. He chose us in Christ before the foundation of the world. He chose us that we should be holy and blameless before Him. That's almost laughable. That he looked at any of us, and I get it, there's visitors here, you too. That he looked at any of us, and we're like, that's who I picked to be holy and blameless before me. This means that our holiness and our blamelessness has to come from outside of us. It has to. If if he picked me, to be a, a, a NBA player, seven foot six NBA player, you'd be like, well, that's not going to work out, man. Because he's decidedly not any of those things. It would have to come from outside. Like he would have to do something to me to make that a reality. It's the same thing with holy and blameless. If he chooses me, if he chooses you, to be holy and blameless before Him, He's got to do something to make that happen. Because you and I aren't holy and blameless. And on our own, we ain't getting holy and blameless. But that's what He chose us for. So again, this lets us know that He had a plan for what He was doing. It doesn't say He chose us because we were holy and blameless, but that we should be. I know they're not, but they're going to be. He chose us, and this is one of the, the translation places. In, in the ESV, the, the last clause of verse 4, they attach to the, the beginning of verse 5. They put a period and then say, in love he predestined us. There's not a period there, and that in love is, it, yes, he did predestine us in love, but that, that prepositional phrase is, is reminding us that he chose us in love. Like Deuteronomy 7 says, this is a completely, utterly consistent biblical idea. He didn't choose us in obligation. He didn't choose us because his hands were tied. He didn't choose us because we were so good he had to. He chose us because he loved us. Do you understand that? Do you understand that? If you're in Jesus Christ, if you have faith in Him, if if you're a Christian, it's because God loves you. That's the hardest thing in the world for us to believe. I was I was on Sunday mornings. I part of my kind of routine is I go for a walk and listen to music that sets my mind on good things. And I was listening to this lady named Lauren Daigle. No idea if I'm saying her name right, but she has this song called "You Say," and I was like on borderline bawling because of the truth that was in this song. Because it's all about the fact that He loves me despite me. When I've given no reason to be loved, I'm loved. I'm loved. Do you understand that that's that's why you have standing before God? 
It's because he loved you. Because he loves you. He loves you. He chose us in Christ before the boundaries of the world that we should be holy and blameless. He chose us in love. He chose us by predestining us for adoption through Jesus Christ to himself. Again, more theology here than we can get into, but I want us to hear what's being said. Our being predestined, our being chosen, is that we might be his children. And it happens through Jesus Christ. There's the third connection to Christ. He predestined us through Christ to himself. He looked at us, adopted us, through the finished work of His Son, knowing what it would cost Him because He wanted us for Himself. You're wanted by God. He he wanted you for Himself. That's incredible. In, in a world where we so often feel utterly unwanted, the Bible comes along and says the God of all creation, the maker of heaven and earth, the one before whom everything will bow and give, wor- give worship, wants you. And so he gave his son to have you. Is that the identity that you carry with yourself? I am wanted by God to the point that he gave his son to take me as his own. He chose us according to the purpose of his will. He chose us to the praise of His glorious grace, which He freely bestowed on us in the Beloved. His glorious grace, God's riches at Christ's expenses, not getting what we deserve, getting what we don't deserve, His steadfast love, however you want to fill that term up, you're not going to overfill it. He has freely bestowed that on us in the beloved, Jesus Christ. Again, what we have from God, these spiritual blessings that we have, our being loved by Him, our being wanted by Him, all of this we get because we're in Christ Jesus, because we have been united to the beloved. And one of the things that we get is Freely bestowed grace. That's a redundant phrase. Grace isn't grace if it's freely bestowed. But we, and Paul knew this about us, we have these wicked little tricky brains that that con us into thinking somehow we deserve God's grace. Somehow we deserve his favor. Somehow he's been impressed enough that he's like, you know what, I just want to shower blessings on them. No! No! 
It's freely bestowed. Here's what that means. That means when you mess it all up and get it all wrong, the grace doesn't stop flowing. doesn't stop flowing. It's freely bestowed on us. Verse 7, verse 11, and verse 13 pick up this beloved idea and fill it up for us. In the beloved, in Jesus Christ, we have redemption. We have been purchased back. How? Through Christ's blood. Everything that was needed for us to be bought back was provided by the blood of Jesus Christ. Everything. He went to the sinner's pawn shop and put his son on the table and said, I want that one, that one, that one, that one, and that one. They're mine. They're all coming home with me. We have redemption through Christ's blood. Then Paul defines it for us. The forgiveness of our trespasses. The forgiveness of our trespasses. I have a a friend. He's a church planter in the PCA. And his parents, uh, in in the kind of midst of all the the craziness with loans and all that led to the the bust of 2008, uh, had gotten into one of the crooked loans and they had been snookered and all of this. And and so they wake up one morning, check the mail, and they get a letter because, like, they had been crookedly brought into this loan. It was gone. It was forgiven. This house was just theirs. Nothing else had to be paid. Checked my mailbox every day for that letter. Since then, it has not come. That's what Paul is telling us has happened with our trespasses. The record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands has been canceled. Canceled. There is nothing outstanding in your account. Nothing. Some of you are are playing through things you've done that I may or may not know about. That nobody in this room may or may not know about. If you're in Christ, it's canceled. You owe nothing for it. Why? Because your trespasses and all that they demand have been forgiven. How? According to the riches of His grace, which He lavished upon us. He lavished it upon us. And then there's this qualifying statement. In all wisdom and insight. Think about that for just a second. The the divinely wise thing to do. The insight of God led him to a point of going, you know what the wise thing to do is here? You know what the wise thing to do in this situation? It's to lavish grace upon these fools. That's divine wisdom at work. Lavishing 
us in his grace. I, I, that's not how I think about it. I, I, when, when, when I read about God's grace, I start to go, Mary, like, this does not seem like your best plan ever. These people are who you picked. But God's word shuts my mouth at that point and says, no, 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 no. This precisely is my wisdom at work. To pick sinners, to pick these sinners, and to pour out my grace, to freely bestow it on them, to lavish it on them. Making known to us the mystery of his will according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ. His entire purpose for the church, his entire purpose for all things, things in heaven and things on earth, his entire purpose as a plan for the fullness of time is to unite all things and it's all in Christ. And in these like five clauses here, in Christ is said three times, which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time, uniting all things in Christ things in heaven, and things on earth in Christ. And it's that redundant in Paul's version. The the ESV undoes some of the redundancy so that it's easier for us to, to read. But I think the redundancy needs to be there. Do we understand that the only way to be outside of the plan of God is to be outside of Christ? His entire purpose, the mystery of his will, his plan for the fullness of time is all wrapped up in who Jesus is and what he has done. And he has put us right in the middle of it. Right in the middle of all of it. Verse 11, in the beloved again, in the beloved also. And here's one of the other translational difficulties. The ESV in verse 11 says this. In him we have obtained an inheritance. Here's my version of that. In him we got to be the referee of the soccer game. And here's why. Because what it actually says, the verb there for obtaining an inheritance is passive tense. It's not active. And we're the subject of it. So all of you grammar nerds know if if it's a passive verb, the subject receives the action. In him, we have been received as an inheritance. That's what it says. And I stand with F.F. Bruce, one of the greatest New Testament scholars ever in that point. Just so you know, I'm not just being creative for a sermon point. We have been received as an inheritance. Think about what that means. We're the thing. You and I and all Christians from all time, we're what God has been waiting on. We're the blessing to him. See, all of a sudden, what we realize is the gospel isn't about some better life being prepared for us. The gospel is about us being prepared for God 
And that's what he's been saying the whole time. He chose us in him for adoption so we could be his. He chose us to, to make us holy. He's preparing us for himself. So that we can be received by him as a treasure. Think about that. Let that soak in. This isn't about you getting something grand from God. I get it. Salvation is pretty grand, and we get that from Him. I get that. But the whole point of salvation, the whole point of Him redeeming us, the whole point of His Son's blood being shed, the whole point of His choosing us, the whole point of our predestination, the whole point of our salvation is He is receiving us. My first thought is, why in the world would you want to receive me? I fail you every day. I'm not worth being received as an inheritance, but that's exactly how the Bible teaches us to think about the gospel. It's that good. It's that good. You, me, the church, Christians, we're what God has been waiting on. You remember in Peter when it says he's not slow in keeping his promises of some count, some, da, da, da. Like the point there is the point here. We're what he's waiting on. And every Christian that he'll add to our number, globally our number, we're his inheritance. We have been received as an inheritance. And then he tells us how having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things, so it's not an accident, according to the counsel of his will, that we who were the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory. There it is again, in Christ. Why? That he might be glorified. That's the point. Verse 13. In the beloved also, and he, he it gets the, the structure gets weird here. In the beloved also, hearing the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, that's the word of truth, the gospel of our salvation. In the beloved also, hearing the word of truth. In the beloved also, he says it again, believing you were sealed with the spirit of promise, the Holy One, who is the guarantee of the inheritance of us. Now again, here's another weird translation thing. The inheritance of us, I did it all clunky like that for a reason. Because that can be read in Greek two different ways. It can be read that we're getting an inheritance, like our inheritance, or it can be read that we are the inheritance. We've already established that we're the inheritance. So what's going on here? The Spirit, the promised Spirit, the Holy One... He is the guarantee that God gets us. See, the, the, the analogy, the only analogy I've thought to come up with is if you go to buy a house, at least you used to have to do this, you would put earnest money down. I'm really serious about buying this house. Here's you know, some earnest money, and we'll sign the contract, and everything's going to go through. And that earnest money, was, was, that was the guarantee. You, you're the one that's getting this house. 
We're not going to take offers from anybody else. This house is yours. And in that scenario, when we think about the gospel, we tend to think about, and we think about the Spirit being the guarantee, we tend to think about us as being the sellers of the house. We get the guarantee that God's going to buy the house. We're the house. We're the thing He wants. We're the thing that says, I'm giving my Spirit to seal them up to me because I want them. And so I'm giving them my spirit. And he's going to seal them into the beloved. Why does the spirit seal us into the beloved? Because that's where the plan of God is found. That's what we were called into. That's where we find redemption. That's where we get his love. That's where we become his people. That's where we're not just a toy. We've been put in the bag and we've been made a gift. And the gift is for himself and it's us. That's what's happening here. The father said, I'm giving my son to purchase them and to make sure that I get them and that nobody else is vying for them and that somebody else doesn't swoop in with some other contract. I'm giving my spirit to seal them into Jesus because I want them as my inheritance. And I will have them as my inheritance. And I will do whatever it takes to receive them as my inheritance. That's the gospel. That God has done literally everything required. And it's all ours every spiritual blessing in Jesus Christ. And nothing is left out or forgotten. That's the gospel. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the glory of the gospel that your wisdom leads you to lavish grace upon us. That your spirit seals us into the one in whom we have every spiritual blessing. Thank you for Jesus. Amen.